0: Take a deep breath, relax, inhale through your nose, and exhale through your mouth. Sit back and close your eyes. Gradually release the tension, starting from your toes,
1: working up your legs to your pelvis, and from your
0: fingertips, slowly up your arms to your shoulders. The Stacking Benjamins Show, no matter how bad it gets, is your favorite podcast. I will count backwards from three, and when I snap my fingers, you'll be overcome with delight at hearing the start of this episode. Three, two, one.
1: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what does it mean to be rich? Ten million big ones, right? Today, we'll chat with a woman who says rich equals a sustainable farm in the country and a nap in the middle of the day. Here to help you redefine what being rich means we welcome from the radical homemaker shannon hayes plus the certified financial planning board is raising the bar on the standard for financial planners how does that help you we'll share during our headline segment and later we'll toss out the haven lifeline to scott who's on the losing side of this real estate boom how do you stay positive when you feel like you're doing all the right things, but still aren't reaching your goals? And don't worry, I'll be sure to plant some gardening-related trivia on you. And now, two guys who are extremely rich, as long as ramen noodles are the currency, it's Joe and G.
0: knock the ramen noodles. I wish it was a word that rhymed with noodles, so I could but I can't poodles. Poodles? Better than eat no.
2: No. Doodles? Doug's trying to throw a shade at us for eating the ramen noodles. But at least we don't drink the ramen noodle juice, Doug. So what's up? Hey, you don't You ramen noodle <laughs> juice drinker. <laughs> you 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 seriously don't? Cause that stuff's good. Well it comes with a free heart attack. And high in sodium. It's not high. It is all sodium. Hey,
0: everybody. Welcome to Health and Fitness for the Win podcast. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Happy Wednesday. You made it here. Now it's just climbing back down the mountain that represents the rest of the week. We got you covered today because we got the woman with us redefining rich, Shannon Hayes, coming down to the basement. How about that? She's a woman who, you know what? I'm not going to tell her story. She's here to tell her story, and I'm a huge fan of her brand, of her thought process. I think the idea of redefining rich, the time has come, but OG, I want to pick your brain on this headline, so let's get this party started. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. Insure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or
1: IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
0: This episode sponsored by State Farm. you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget. Well, look no further than State Farm. ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner talk to a state farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs like a good neighbor state farm is there talk to your local agent today all right shannon hayes coming down to the basement but a really interesting headline first so let's do this thing
3: hello darlings and now it's time for your favorite part of the show our stacking benjamin's headlines
0: Our headline today comes to us from Investment News, which is an industry rag for financial professionals. And if you're new to the show, we like to do headlines often that come from the financial professional community because of the fact that, I don't know, man, when I moved over to financial media a decade ago, I found out that the discussions that financial planners were having were way different than the discussions that people were having in the public realm. And you know what? That hasn't changed. This is written by Mark Schaff Jr. CFP board proposes tougher penalties for hiding misconduct. OG, oh, CFP is the Certified Financial Planning Board. The CFP board released proposals for public comment that would impose a public censure on CFP certificates who fail to notify the organization within 30 days about potential misconduct or who file incomplete ethics declarations. The board also is proposing changes in how certificants can accept the censure. The proposals to strengthen the CFP board's sanctions guidelines and procedural rules are the first recommendations to come from commission on sanctions and fitness, which was established earlier this year to review the board's rules for enforcing the conduct and ethics standards related to the CFP credential. I don't know. When I read this OG, I thought, the rules really aren't that strict. I thought the rules already were pretty strict for a CFP.
2: I think what they're talking about here is failure to self-report any issues. If you get in trouble, whether it's the CFP board or the SEC or your state uh, securities board or whatever, if you do something, you know that's going to show up. But if you have something going on in the background, I think what they're trying to say is if you're not diligent about making everyone else aware, if you go, well, this might get swept under the rug, then the penalty for that is going to be more severe than, you know, than the uh, uh, penalty would have been had you just turn yourself in, so to speak.
0: I think rules like this are pretty important because when it comes to financial planning, th- there isn't much outside of that designation, right? I mean, if, if I'm looking for a professional that I want in my corner Somebody will tell you that they have their licenses. There are some other designations, but I think in the eyes of the public, CFP is the gold standard, and we have to protect it.
2: Well, that's the argument that the board has, and as a certificate, that is their justification for raising our annual fees by about six hundred percent over the last ten wow, years. Wow, really? Uh, that and marketing, because you know those big marketing ad dollars, son. The Super Bowl really spread the good word. But I think that if the vast majority of time and energy was spent on, you know, education from a public standpoint and education and training from a certificate standpoint, that's a good use of dollars. You know, you say the commercials were funny. Uh, Okay. But I don't know that it really, it really uh, moves the needle a whole bunch. But then just like any other self regulatory organization, it kind of takes the, shape of whoever's the board at that moment, because they're all elected people from within the ranks of, you know, the people who are themselves, the people who are trying to be supported by the people you're voting for. Golly, that's complicated. But they're all CFP people, you know, it kind of moves in the direction of whatever that organizing body sort of feels like. And, and, And the focus has been lately on Tightening the standards, so to speak, and and making sure that people are on the up and up, which is good. If you're one of those people that are on the up and up, you want to keep the the riff raff out of there. And there's always going to be something going on. You know, almost every two weeks we hear a story about this stockbroker who did this thing, or you know, this this you know insurance agent who did this thing that they shouldn't have. But if you can catch that stuff earlier. The sooner, the better, because you 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 know you want to protect the public from that.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because two stories down from this one was a piece about more people getting scammed, about scams on the rise and people pretending that they're financial advisors. And get this, not just saying they are a financial advisor, but saying, oh, gee, that they're with a firm that they're not with and presenting credentials that they don't have. And so the scammers are getting more raised in about what they're doing. So I think on the other side, building awareness that the CFP designation is pretty important and also that you have some recourse to maybe look these people up is an important thing. And while I'm with you, a funny Super Bowl commercial maybe doesn't do anything for the education you're talking about. It certainly raises awareness.
2: Yeah, a little bit. And it did kind of prove the point. So it is incumbent on you as a consumer to do just a little bit of of due diligence and, and some of the easy things that you can keep track of that aren't very complicated. Number one, if you're working with a professional, the money has to be separate from the professional. You know, we learned that with Bernie Madoff. We learned that with, uh, this guy down here in Texas, whatever his name was. The reality is, is that there's gigantic custodians, Schwab, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, um, even smaller custodians, but third party custodians whose sole job it is is to make sure that your money is separated and safe and secure from people being able to take money out. So you have to use a third-party custodian. If your advisor or the person who's calling them, you're calling themselves your advisor is not using a third-party custodian, it's not a good fit. That is that is item number one. Item number two is it doesn't take very long to go on the SEC website. It doesn't take very long to go on the CFP board and search for an advisor, search for a CFP certificate and read what it says. Sometimes there's going to be things that aren't great written about them, you know? And if that's the case, it doesn't make, th- make them completely disqualifiable, but it just gives you an opportunity to have another conversation or a question. Say, hey, I noticed this thing. It says you filed bankruptcy in 2008. What's that about? You know, a lot of people did. It was, it was a thing. It was a really bad time in the economy. And it used to automatically disqualify you from being in the the industry. But guess what? A lot of people had financial troubles, including professional money people. So that doesn't disqualify you now, but it has, has to be disclosed. And then lastly, I think the third thing that you can do is the proverbial phrase, trust but verify. You know, you've got somebody in your corner, if you're working with a professional who's helping steer everything in the right direction, it doesn't alleviate all responsibility from you you still have to check your statements. We use a client portal where all of your stuff is aggregated. That's perfectly fine. But that's not a substitute for logging into Schwab and making sure your money is it still at Schwab. Now it is, of course, because that's where we get the data from. But that was one of the biggest things with Bernie Madoff was, you know, they were, he was just saying, hey, you got all this money. Where is it? Uh, you know, you know, so every so often you have to look at your statements, you get an option to do that. So, Make sure it's a third-party custodian. Check your statements. Check the background of the person that you're working with or the team that you're working with. And, and if all those three things line up, there's a better than average chance that, uh, that you're going to be home free. So
0: Here's the uh, audio from the commercial that I believe that you're referencing. Let me
2: talk to you about retirement. The 401k is the most sound way to go. Let's talk asset allocation. Sure.
3: You seem knowledgeable, professional.
2: Would you trust me as your financial advisor? I would. I would indeed. Well, let's be clear here. I'm actually a DJ.
0: No way! <laughs> I
2: have no financial Can experience at all.
0: That really is you. If they're not a CFP pro, you just don't know. Find a certified financial planner professional who's thoroughly vetted at letsmakeaplan.org. CFP, work with the highest standard. I thought those were, were pretty effective at showing how little the public knows about what a real professional does or knows and how easy it is for somebody to pretend they are one, especially somebody as creative as a, as a DJ DJ. A lot of good lessons there. OG. But I think uh, first and foremost, I like your trust, but verify trust, but verify probably is the best way to work with not just your financial professionals, but anybody who you're going to have in your corner, right? If you're going to be the dumbest person in the room, which is a good idea, Make sure those people really are smarter than you.
2: And and sometimes it's not even it doesn't have to be because they're incompetent. I was working with a CPA to go over our taxes, and he missed something. And and I had done a little bit of thumbing through the work, and I went, I don't think this number's right. And we talked about it and figured out that it was just an oversight, you know. And and that. Save me a bunch of money. You know, we could have gone back in time and fixed it, but thankfully we found it before we filed, so I made it a little bit easier. So, you know, you still have to take some ownership over it, and and it's okay to ask questions. You know, at the, being on this side of the table, I'm a big fan of talking. <laughs> you know, if you've got a question about what's going, I could I could talk for hours on any topic related to money. So, if you've got a question about what's going on, just ask and and. I'd love to explain it to you, but I also want to be respectful of your time. And that's the balancing act that I think pros have to play is how much of this do you really want to know? How much of it do you really care about and how, you know, you're kind of trading away a little bit of that versus time. So
0: it's interesting that you bring that up because I remember in my early days as a financial planner, I strongly believed as I do now that people should know all the facts, right? So I would try to impress upon my client all the facts. And I had this issue that my clients would have a tendency early on in my career to do nothing. And the reason that my training managers told me that they were doing nothing is because I was giving them too much information. I was filling their head full of so much information that they would go into analysis paralysis land and sit like deer in the middle of the road with the headlights, right? Blair and Adam, just not, not, I don't know where to go geez, all these sound, Whoa, I don't, I I don't, I've just realized I don't know enough about this. And I, I had to learn, and this is horrible. It's horrible because it was a sales technique, but it also is fantastic. If you want somebody to make a decision, I couldn't give them the three was often too many options. Generally, I would give them two options. I'd say, listen, here are your, I could go through all 10 things you could do here. are The top two, this one, or this one, but then i would always have to emphasize that the important thing is is to just do one and once i got in that habit where we had a bias toward action my clients started reaching their goals consequently i became a better financial planner as well like everybody won so i'm with you that uh, education is important but how far down the rabbit hole how far down the rabbit hole do you go
2: well everybody's going to be different that has something to do with a a little bit of experience like you Alluded to, but like you said, I'm convinced at this point that our job isn't necessarily to have the best option. Our job is to make sure that you have the best outcome. You know, when you and Cheryl are working on your financial plan, you're not concerned with whether or not you get 9.327% or 8.948%. You just want to make sure you don't run out of money. And can you get there with a smooth ride?
0: On one hand, I agree with you. On the other hand, the reason that I have smart people in my corner for that particular example, after I get over X amount of money, it makes sense to spend the 15 minutes longer to get a decent asset allocation, which will get me the 9.X. Because it's the difference in time it takes to get the 9.X versus the 8.X, not that high.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. But my point is, is that when it comes to decision-making arguing back and forth about which one of these is going to be better versus doing one of them will get you to your goals a lot faster than arguing about both of them and not doing anything
0: I had a mentor tell me once that it was better to be 90% right and moving than 100% right and do nothing
2: yeah do you remember early on in our days at American Express there was a guy and his name was Doug Lenick you remember Doug
0: Yeah. he was such a smart guy
2: Yeah, still is. So worked at American Express, was a high uh, executive vice president. Anyway, went and started a consulting company. And he had this cool exercise. And I just found my cards. I I thought I lost them. They're in my garage because that's where you put all your important stuff. But um, it's a deck of cards and it has all these different uh, uh, words on it. And uh, it's like a values exercise. So you kind of sort the piles into like, these are important to me, these aren't. and, And you whittle this down into your top five and one of mine, and I think, I don't know if it just had to do with my upbringing, or I'm sure it did, upbringing, the time that I spent in the service, and all that sort of stuff was decisiveness. And you know me, what you just said about doing something is better than standing around waiting for it. Like, I would rather r- move in the wrong direction as long as I'm moving, because we can always change course. And I think that's suited me well over the years, because sometimes that's the biggest thing, It's just taking some action you have to do with the one thing like one little thing to take the next step
0: it's funny when you look at all these different gurus and you find the point that they intersect i feel like that's a truth right i mean everybody's got their own little wing ding thing out there but when you see person after person after person says the same thing and one truth that we've heard over and over and over is make decisions faster yep. and it almost reminds me of comedians you see statistics about good, quote, good comedians. Good comedians generally get more laughs because they crack more jokes, which is amazing. It's amazing Weird. to me. The studies that they've done on that showing that these people, these men and women, just, just create comedy at a faster rate. And so when one hits, you remember the funny one. You don't remember the five that weren't that funny. Yeah. But because they're cracking so many jokes, Their hit per minute or hit per hour, whatever the the thing is, is big. And it's the same thing, I think, with us, with our life. Uh, Great discussion on this. We'll link to it on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Also, this and more tools in our guide to the show, which comes with every Monday and Wednesday episode. Brooke Miller is knocking the cover off the ball on this thing, to use a baseball analogy. You know, when these guides started out, they were 600, 700 words the ones last week an eye popping 1600 words and not a waste of time, but more links more. Hey, if you like this, here's something else to think about. Just a great guide dot forward slash stacker. Of course it's free. And if you're not reading it, unsubscribe at any time. Speaking of time, it's almost time for us to redefine rich with Shannon Hayes, which means we've got Doug. Oh, look at Doug's in some, uh, overalls today what the heck's that about well let's see
1: hey there stackers i'm noted farming expert joe's mom's neighbor doug today's guest shannon might also know a thing or two about farming but you know it who's it was really to say in this age of let's all agree to be experts who's actually more of an expert it's probably me i've realized lately for example that i've successfully raised more dandelions in my yard than any other person in the neighborhood what you think those things just grow all on their own okay they kind of do but i have way more of them which must be saying something right you know this reminds me of today's trivia question what is the highest grossing type of gardening flower in the united states i'll be back Faster than you can pick a pocket full of poses.
0: Hey, this it's Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do. A shout out to, he is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now. And all the work that uh, he did there, just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want them to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st, so get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial.
1: Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I know what you're thinking. Extremely handsome neighbor, Doug. Thank you, random listener. Why are you bragging about having more, or or would it be be more, dandelions than everybody else? Isn't that just a junk flower? Well, that could not be further from the truth, listener I made up for this rant. Life is about innovation, and old Doug is going to turn this into his cash cow. Here's how. Oh, that rhymed. Ever heard of dandelion salads? Yeah, of course you have. What about flower arrangements. Dandelions make an excellent addition to any bouquet. So here's some out of the box thinking. What if I offer to pick the dandelions from the neighbor's yards too? I've tried two already, and you'll probably be surprised to learn they jumped all over my offer. Before they know it, they are gonna see my El Camino rolling down the street on shiny 22s thanks to what they call weeds. Now that you've heard my genius, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, what is the highest-grossing type of gardening flower in the United States? According to the USDA census, petunias are the best-selling garden flower in America, with annual sales exceeding $262 million. Nationwide, residents of Ohio buy the most petunias, making up more than $16 of total sales. That might be to cover up the stench coming out of Columbus. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Okay. Following petunias are geraniums, pansies, and begonias, which are the most sold in North Carolina, Texas, and Virginia. On that note, I'll pass this over to Shannon Hayes to learn about what it
0: means to be rich. See ya! And coming down the stairs, here she comes to the basement. Shannon Hayes is here. How are you? Hey, it's
3: great to be here with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Joe.
0: Well, I'm so happy you could be here with us. I have become such a fan just in the last month. I have to admit that I am I am way late to the, to the radical homemaker game. I know you've been doing this <laughs> for quite a while, but I'm so happy that you could hang out with us for a few minutes and talk about redefining rich, but- I guess as a way to start, Shannon, you had your whole life kind of redefined in, what was the year, 1999, I think?
3: Oh, probably right about then, yeah. It's a long yeah, time you were. It,
0: it was like a Halloween party. Can you describe, you know what day I'm talking about? Because it feels like, for me, that was a big
3: change for you and your husband. You. So I should start by telling you, I grew up very career-centric, but I had two parallel lives I was living. I was on my family farm in the Northern Catskills, And I had a certain farm life, but I was going to school down in the valley, which was on the suburban fringe and education was a big deal. My parents had professional jobs. I was in grad school at that time working on my PhD and my husband at that time was my fiance and we had just bought a cabin about seven miles from the farm and he had he had a grown up job. He had a grown-up job working in county government, so I was going to grad school about two and a half hours away, and it was Halloween, and in his office, there was a tradition that everybody dressed up for Halloween, and my husband and I really like Midsummer Night's Dream, and so he dressed up as Nick Bottom from Midsummer Night's Dream, and he Used a hard hat and he did a beautiful job converting a hard hat into a donkey's head and went to work that day.
0: And we should explain, by the way, where your husband worked, because I think this will also connect some dots that are about to come.
3: (laughs) He worked for the county planning department, which was headed by a mover and a shaker in the local Republican Party and didn't give one thought to left, right politics whatsoever. but. Um, They weren't really familiar with Midsummer Night's Dream, and they weren't familiar. Not big (laughs) readers. Yes. So my husband uh, was brought in and summarily dismissed for insubordination for making a mockery of the county's Republican Party. The next day. Uh, (laughs) The next day, November 1st. And to this day, November 1st actually is a day we celebrate. That is our day to pause and reflect very deeply because that was one of the greatest gifts that anybody had ever given us. He got fired. I came home from grad school one or two days later and we were still in shock. And we took a walk out in the woods and we found an old cemetery and we sat there in the cemetery. And I remember realizing when we were employed, we were at our economically most vulnerable. And we swore we would never be that vulnerable ever again because our mortgage, I should add on that November 1st, it was also the day we just bought this cabin, it was the day the first mortgage bill showed up in the mail too. So it was a good double whammy. And uh, we realized we were reliant on a paycheck and that was dangerous for people like us who are free thinkers and um, very independent minded. You never know which way we're gonna land on a subject to be reliant on working for somebody who approves of what you say or do is a dangerous proposition. And to have all your income coming from one place like that is just not prudent. And we promised each other we'd be gainfully employed forever more from then. Yeah. Never again would we go back to jobs. So my, my husband and I, we had this cabin and, uh, it was, predicted, understood that I was in the final months of my PhD, that what we would do is we would turn around, sell that cabin, and I would go hunting for a job and we would go someplace else. We started on the job hunt and we had one particular job opportunity that came up where he and I could both work within A two-hour radius of each other so we could both commute one hour to our jobs that looked like good prospects with our professional credentials and i started doing the math i backed out what we were going to be paying for income taxes and i backed out what it was going to cost us to have professional full-time wardrobes to have two cars and to be buying instead of growing our own food and i looked at the numbers now at the same time my parents had this dirt farm, if you will. It was labeled non-viable by the state. It was considered a losing proposition, but they were slowly bringing it back to life. And I'd been helping them on weekends uh, when I came home from grad school. I was looking at this co-job offer 2 income family opportunity that he and I had. And I was looking at returning to the farm. And I realized when you backed out all the expenses of having a job, We were going to end up with a two-income family, both of us working heavy hours, like 40 to 50 hours a week. We were only going to be $10,000 ahead of where we would be if we stayed on this scrappy, mountain, rocky, ledgy farm and worked with my family. We hadn't even started a family yet, so we didn't have daycare costs built into this or the cost of any kind of child rearing. So I called my dad. I said, I can't afford to get a job. Now, imagine my parents, they worked so hard to raise their young college graduate who went on for her master's degree, and then their PhD, and they had such high hopes, and she calls and goes, ah, you know, guys, the writing's on the wall, this isn't gonna pay off. And I think they were a little shocked, and my father was very quiet on the other end of the phone, he basically said, well, okay, but don't take a dime off the farm. <laughs> so there was
0: no freak out at all from them. It was just oh, this. Pr-
3: oh, you, you need to know my dad. That was a freak out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't say much. So when dad says, okay, you're not taking a dime. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That,
3: that's a freak out. <laughs> well, but, 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 <laughs> what they said
0: when they hung up. I don't know. It's a whole different story. Yeah. You know, as well as anybody though, this idea of sunk cost, right? You've got all this sunk cost into this really expensive education as you know, and that must've ran through your head. Like people think that all the time that must've been a very difficult decision to make to kind of turn your back on the eight years of this.
3: Okay. I will say that my education cost less. I was very fortunate. My parents did help pay for that. But, you know, I lived at home a lot and had jobs and I was able to graduate without debt. So what I would say is uh, my sunk costs are significantly less than other people's. And I would always argue if you're if education is right for you, boy, you need to really argue and push and convince somebody that you're worth it. It can pay off. But in terms of time, yes. Yeah, I put a lot in. I funded my own research. I, I, you know, had to get there. I couldn't go off and start earning full-time paychecks. So did I pay? Yes. But I do want to be forthright and say I didn't graduate with that $40,000, $50,000 or $100,000 in debt that a lot of people have.
0: You turned over time the, the farm really into a brand. I mean, you have the cafe, you have your web and your writing presence. Of course, there's all the farming activity. Now it it seems, and you write this in the book, that it is much easier. But tell me about those early days, though, because I'm just imagining, even though your parents already had the farm, you talk about it not really being viable at the time. Tell me about how hard that was to get this, get this rolling.
3: You're absolutely right, Joe. I often hear people say, well, it's easy for you. This was all handed to you. And I got to tell you, like 20, 25 years ago, I was not handed a gold mine. I was handed a liability. And you probably talk about this in financial investing where people say, you know, if it makes you money, it's an asset. If it costs you money, it's a liability. And that farm was bleeding as a lot of farms are bleeding. I had to figure out how to turn that around. But to do it farm style, I had to understand how farm economics worked in a different sense you know, the labor was definitely more expensive than what we could sell the products for. So you have to create value for the products. You have to create value to hold on to a labor force because I very quickly realized I needed to find other ways to bring in revenue streams to make sure that we weren't breaking ourselves under the labor burden. And when I brought labor on, I had to find innovative ways to keep them engaged with the work because the pay Doesn't look like, you know, you can't get your corporate salary when you work for a farm. So to build that brand and to build a loyal labor force, it took a lot of work.
0: When you talk about the labor costing more than what you could sell the product for, does that mean, is it positioning? Is it emphasizing the fact that it's a sustainable farm? That this is not, uh, you know, loaded with chemicals, the stuff you're selling from the farm. Like, how do you how do you raise the value of what essentially for a lot of people is a commodity, Shannon? You talk,
3: you talk a lot. You teach, you teach, you teach, you teach. I wrote cookbooks. And yes, it's teaching people that grass fed is better. And it's teaching people that um, you do need to cook it differently. So you have success. It's teaching people about what's the environmental benefit of it. But the other part of it, when you talked about brand, it's the brand. It's also teaching people what's the story behind that. And it's not, you know, a lot of grass-fed brands came out and they were all about being slick and perfect and gourmet and beautiful. And I don't pull that off. What I realize is there's always chaos around us. It is a beautiful, loving, chaotic, cloudy mess, but it is always moving in a good direction. And so part of what I've had to do is educate my clientele that that's who we are. When you taste something from our farm, you taste three generations that love each other, but hang up the phone on each other on a regular basis and do all kinds of crazy things. But we're always moving in the direction of a living system, producing meaningful things for a community that we deeply value. And we do it in a very imperfect way So making things work economically was also about teaching people to accept that, that truth of who we are.
0: I love how being part of the community and making your brand uplift the community, I thought was something powerful. I think that statement you just made is really about the title of your book about redefining rich, like what is rich? And for you, it seems like that really is the essence of what richness is for you. But you've got this concept in the book that I know a lot of our listeners, especially their new listeners chase, that it sounds like to some degree you've seen people around you chase for a while. It's, it feels like you were chasing it. You call it the money paradox. Can you talk through, how did you come up with the money paradox or where did that idea come from? And then you've got these three tenants to it that I really want to dive into.
3: One of the things I want to start off with explaining, coming to business from farming, farming is considered a fantastic losing venture in this country. And when you are uh, raised in something that's a losing venture, you can develop a self-esteem issue. What I do is not valued. And we are taught as farmers to always find a way to find more money, just like anybody in this culture, find a way to find more but on top of this, we have this idea that what we do isn't valued. We're sort of always in a position of wanting and needing more. But as farmers, we always stay in it. You're like, why do farmers keep doing what they're doing when you know they're making no money or they're losing money? We'll tell you it's the stone walls, it's the pastures, it's the mountain and the fields and the streams, it's the family, it's all this other stuff. But still, we're conditioned to think, but how do I find more money? How do I find more money? So one day, my husband and I were going out for a walk in the woods. We don't drink coffee indoors, by the way. We always drink coffee out in the woods or next to a pond someplace. It's a way to get away from the telephones and the online stuff. We just break away, and that makes the coffee a lot better. So we were going off and doing this. As we were walking down the steps, we were thinking about the fact that the roof on the cafe needs to get repaired and the car needs to get repaired. And we had a new project on the farm. We wanted to get going a new enterprise. And we just had this brilliant idea. Well, hey, what would happen if we had a ten thousand dollar windfall? And so we were taking our little walk and we started talking about, well, maybe we could, you know, fix the car and maybe we could get the roof fixed. And, uh, Hey, maybe, maybe we wouldn't have to take a budget vacation this year. Maybe we could do something a little bit nicer. And by the time we got to our coffee spot, we didn't have 10,000 anymore. We'd gone into debt intellectually, probably 20,000. And we sat down at this little waterfall to drink our coffee. And we realized that As soon as the imaginary windfall came, we'd spent it. But before we had that thought, when we were leaving our house that morning, we were fine. It was a beautiful day and we were happy. We realized that money is this very elusive thing. We'll always want more of it. And as soon as you get more, you're always going to want more. So that day while sitting there, that's when we thought of the money paradox it is always elusive. We will always want more. So the sooner you can recognize that is just always going to be there, the sooner you can realize it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. We'd always love more money. Wouldn't you love more money? Sure. Why not?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. It's, it is interesting because no matter what, they're always, I feel like you're always looking at the next horizon and that hit me hard that, that by the way, is one of the three. So, so you nailed that one. Also, the fact that increased income doesn't
3: guarantee more happiness. No. In fact, I don't know what the current figure is, but last I knew, adjusted, like, you know, worldwide adjusted income, it was about $10,000 per person per household uh, is a magic figure where if you increased income to the point where you had at least $10,000 adjusted worldwide per person per household, from zero to that, money would increase happiness because it increases the roof over your head, the blankets, the food. It gives you the basics. Once you cross that threshold, it doesn't guarantee happiness anymore. It might increase your happiness, but it might not. There's absolutely no correlation. And when you realize that money is only going to make you happy to a point, and then you realize with the paradox that you're always going to want more. So it can always be a source of unhappiness. You start saying, all right, Let's not bother with this. Let's just take a breather and be happy instead.
0: And it's so powerful. And we make that mistake all the time. If I just have a little more, well, you see this with people saying, I want to retire later, right? Or I want to push up retirement. (laughs) Well, it's not about you reach this date and I'm going to have happiness. Then if I'm miserable today, I'm probably going to show up at that date miserable too. That's right.
3: That whole happily ever after idea is really silly.
0: Well, and I love how scrappy you have been creating your brand and making this work for you and your family, Shannon, which is in the third tenant that you have here, which is too much material wealth can be stagnating. And I've, I felt that in my own yeah. life that when I have to be scrappy, my brain is very, my, I'm, I'm pretty damn smart, but if but if you, but if you hand me money and I just throw some cash at it, my brain's as lazy as the
3: next brain. I see this all the time in agriculture, and it's one of the places where we learned it. So as I mentioned, ours was a scrappy farm. Um, My husband and I came at it. We didn't have a lot of income. We had to make things work. And even now, Satbush Hollow is held together with a whole load of baling twine, let me tell you. Someone can come on the farm and say, well, for crying out loud, you've been in business for 40 years, invest in, you know, high quality fences that swing on hinges for God's sake. Well, we started with bailing twine. And the first time we could afford some expensive hinges, we realized that the rocks would shift underneath and the whole thing would go off true anyhow. So you start to realize bailing twine is valuable, but also we've educated so many farmers who come on and a lot of people get into farming with a lot of money. And we can always predict when they've got a lot of money to spend, it was just like that joke you said, they've got a lot of money to lose yeah, because they don't have to be creative. They don't have to work around things. So it was almost a predictor that they would fail if they came at it with a lot of money. Also, you find out that people with a lot of money, they either have a lot to lose and they're into losing it or they are so worried about holding on to their money that they can't take risks. When we're down to the bone and we're scrappy, you got nothing to lose. You know, you're free to use your wits. You're free to be creative. And you're also free at the end of the day. There's not a lot of cleanup you have to do. So you can put your feet up and kind of laugh about it. You know, I have these days when the checkbook is like nearing, the balance is nearing zero. And the one thing I can say is, well, the good news is I don't have extra bookkeeping this week because I can't pay anyone.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. We joked about that with the podcast. you know It'd be so much easier if we had no listeners. That would be fantastic. <laughs> you know how easy this job would be Shannon It'd be awesome. Guys, we're just talking about the first couple chapters of the book here so you can see uh, just how much Shannon talks about but this idea of a quality of life statement I found also very powerful. Cheryl and I have had a mission statement and when we created that it it really changed the game for us. This sounds very similar, but tell me about the Genesis, the quality of life statement. If somebody wants to go do this like you did, what do they get out of it and how does it work?
3: Okay. One thing I do want to say is if they go to the Rattle Goal Homemaker blog, they can get a workbook for the book that takes them through the quality of life statement too. So if that's a value to people, it's there for free. They can just download it. But a quality of life statement, it's a little bit like a mission statement, except it's more family and household based. And I suggest that all members of the household who are above the age of eight participate in a quality of life statement. It's less about what are we going to do for the world for a career and more about what do we want our life to look like? How do we want to be spending our days? Who do we want to be spending those days with? And it gets to the core of, as we talk about in the book, redefining rich. For me, Rich means I can put my toes in soil and I can feel cool, clear water in a running stream. And it means I can go sit on a stone wall and breathe fresh air. All of those things are in our quality of life statement. It means for me, rich means I get to go upstairs and take an afternoon nap. That for me, when I lay down and take an afternoon nap, I am like, oh yeah, you cannot pay me to give this. This is fantastic. I feel like I'm queen of the world. So I encourage people to spend time doing that quality of life statement, and then from there to develop a resilient financial plan that keeps that as their reality. And that's when we get into, as we talk about the book, the four income streams and choosing from those and getting the right diversification.
0: I especially like involving the entire family, you know, and that everybody has a say, cause it's not, it's not yours and Bob's statement, it's everybody's, it's, it's everybody's quality of life.
3: That's right. And when everybody's on board and we all know what we're working for, we all help each other get there.
0: The book is called redefining rich. And I had so much fun reading about your story and even uh, some of the gut wrenching struggles that that you've had. That part wasn't (laughs) fun by the way, but that part was page turning. Interesting. I'm assuming people can get it
3: everywhere. They can get that book absolutely everywhere, and they're more than welcome to chime in with their questions and let me know their thoughts.
0: And if somebody's in the area, the, the, the ca- let's talk about the cafe for just a second because the yes. cafe sounds really fun. But it's but it's funny when I when I go to your website, you're like eh, the cafe is
3: open sometimes. <laughs> it's it's- <laughs> <laughs> well, it comes back to that quality of life statement, and it comes back to the fact that I'm a rural cafe. There was a point in our farms development where we decided that in order to grow for the next generation, we didn't need to acquire more farmland. We needed to serve the community better. So we started this cafe because of where we're located with health department licensing and stuff. I'm only allowed to be open 60 days a year. Uh And that seemed like a, a real limit. But then I realized, oh, if I'm just open on Saturdays, I can funnel everybody through at the same time. Now, I've since had a lot of businesses come to me and say, hey, could you be open more? Could you do more? But it comes back to the quality of life statement. What we've realized, when you run a cafe one day a week, everybody who wants to be there gets there. And we're about building community. So everybody gets to see each other. They know if they show up on Saturday, they're going to see everybody they want to see. It's not like they missed them. And um, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I am off in the woods.
0: I love that. You're not married to it. It's so, it's, it's so <laughs> awesome. Thanks for hanging out with us and nerding out about Redefining Rich with us. I really appreciate it.
3: I loved it. I would love to talk to you anytime, Joe. And thank you for reading the book so carefully. I really, really enjoy that. This is Rebecca from Connecticut. Instead of stacking Hamilton's and Jackson's, I'd much rather be stacking Benjamin's.
0: Huge thanks to Shannon Hayes for stopping by, you know, OG, how many times have we talked about beginning with the end in mind? And Shannon Hayes is what you get when you do that.
2: And it tied into what we were talking about before and do it.
0: Yeah. Action. Action. You know what? This is what I want. I don't want these things. I mean, obviously she hasn't used the PhD like she thought she was going to, but do you think that taking that action hurt her in the, in the big scheme of things? Well,
2: no, because, you know, one of the things that you get out of that, obviously, is your ability to take information and help make decisions. You know, education, even if it's not in the field that you're in, any sort of self-development, whether it's a program that leads to a a formal degree or, or if it's a class at Home Depot, you know, that sort of activity, especially, you know, you look at some of these studies about people who are aging and people who are the ones who are really smart and still around in their nineties and the ones who are not really smart and maybe not around in their nineties. One of the themes there is constant engagement, you know? So she doesn't use her PhD in the sense of the outcome from it, but, but she uses it from, from her ability to, to think.
0: Absolutely. Good news too, for people who enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed talking to Shannon We have a longer version of that interview. I actually talked to her for much longer and we have the full interview as we do all of our interviews on our YouTube page. So head to the stacking Benjamins YouTube channel and you will not only see that, you'll also see replays of the live events that we had. The one we had just a couple of weeks ago, OG with Dr. Apollo Lopescu from Dimensional Funds talking about portfolio management. All of our stack events there, shorts from clips and highlights from the shows, and much more on the Stacking Benjamins YouTube channel. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Making decisions. That is a powerful through line on today's show. And making decisions with your loved ones. And getting better use out of your time. Mm. That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance super simple because it's easier to make a decision. Their application is simple, it's online. You'll get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, and you have the confidence in your life insurance because the policies are issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, which is a more than 160-year-old insurer. Go to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life Now. You'll get a free quote, and you'll see the modern way of buying life insurance. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Scott. Say hi, Scott.
4: Hi, Joe, OG, and crew. I was wondering what type of conversation you would have with a client who had grown discouraged with the current economic state of things. I'm 37 and was hoping to buy a house this year, and I looked up and houses were out of reach for me. I've spent the last six or seven years doing all the right financial things. I've saved money. I've wiped out my debt. I find myself with $43,000 in a Roth IRA, 30000 of which are contributions, $163,000 in a a regular 401k, and about $30,000 in cash equivalents like stocks and savings. And yet, I feel like I can't afford a house responsibly. I live in the Chicago area, and it's made me sad and angry. I feel like I've done the right things and I'm still in this situation because of what's happened with the housing market over the last year. What advice would you have for me or somebody else to keep our head in the game and be able to move forward with a positive attitude? Because right now, whenever I look at my financial situation, despite me being in a good position, I feel like I'm also in a bad position. Uh, let me know your thoughts. Looking forward to hear. Thanks. Bye.
0: Great call, Scott. And by the way, congratulations, because it does seem like you're doing a lot of great things. And I know Scott's not alone here, OG. I was looking at prices this morning in San Diego, second uh, fastest rising prices, I think, in the nation. And uh, if you're living in one of these markets where price is going through the roof and you're buying houses, people skipping the inspection, people 20% over asking price, all cash offer, like who's got that money? holy cow but uh so if you're Scott how do you motivate him to keep his head in the game
2: hey Scott does it feel a little bit like uh like this Five, six, seven, eight
0: nine but you know Rocky gets back up right hey, he does back up eight. off the mat. Says, come on, come on, to Apollo Creed.
3: Oh, oh, he tagged the him. champion got a left to the ribs, his He's right ribs. Down, like oh, this this trem- oh, oh. oh, this has been a
2: tremendous. So, yeah, it feels like, you, you know, just getting your butt kicked. And all of a sudden, you're just face down on the mat. You just have to decide whether or not that's you know, what's the alternative at this point? That's my question. Is the alternative like, cool, I can finally buy a Ferrari then? I'll just do that instead? Or do you keep saving money? Because the ridiculousness of, like you are talking about before, all cash offers, 20% over asking, that doesn't last forever. It may seem like it will last forever. No different than when in 2004, when I bought my house and promptly 18 months later, it was worth half because the housing crash in the early 2000s, that didn't last forever. It seemed like it probably would at the time, but it didn't. And now we're on the other end of that to some degree. And in some areas, Chicago maybe, and uh, you know where I live in Dallas and, and other major cities. So Austin. Yeah. Austin, Massachusetts. Really, really crazy up there. What do you want to do about it? (laughs) You know, I mean, it didn't work out. Your plan didn't work the way that you had hoped. You had hoped for a big housing recession right at the exact moment that you had the money to, to buy a house. Just like I had hoped for a big market crash at the time that I got a big fat bonus. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. You know, because guess what? Big fat bonuses don't come during market crashes. They don't. They show up during market abundance. So... I would say from a tactical standpoint, obviously you can change direction, right? You could say, well, I don't want to live in Chicago anymore. I'm going to live in Omaha. I don't want to live in a four-bedroom house. I'll take a two-bedroom condo. I don't want to put 20% down. I'm going to put 10. There's all those sorts of things. Or you can just keep on doing what you're doing and wait for that ebb and flow, that wave to go back the other way and catch it on that side of the, of the equation, so to speak.
0: Big thing he's got to do is resist the urge to overpay.
2: Yeah, look at all the articles that are out right now about how it may make more sense now to rent than buy. You know? What about what about an alternative, a halfway model? Why can't you buy a house and rent half of it out? You know, a little house hacking to kind of ease the burden a little bit. What about buying a fixer upper? You know, so there's lots of different tactical things. But if you're just demoralized because the market went up a whole bunch on housing prices, get, guess what else went up a whole bunch? Your stock portfolio, your 401k, all the other stuff that you mentioned, the assets that you mentioned that you have, that's also benefited from this. So take the good with the good, I guess.
0: I only have a couple things to add to that. Number one is I remember the discussion we had with former poker star Annie Duke when she said... You need to divorce your decision-making from the outcome. There are times when a hand in poker, and this is much like a poker hand, just goes the opposite way. You look at the amount of money that he saved, the things that he's done. He's done everything right, but that doesn't mean you're going to win right now. And so I think the discouragement comes from when you think that because you played a great hand means that you're going to win. And it's not, unfortunately, it isn't. Right. Which I think brings up point two, which is a little bit of game theory. You know, I like myself a board game, but I also know this with my life, which is that if I have all of my chips behind, using a poker analogy again, one goal, if I got all my chips behind one goal, I'm going to suffer incredibly big defeats with that one goal And incredible upsets. And instead, it's a far better thing to spread that out, to have a few different things going on. So maybe he's got a business venture he's pursuing. Maybe he wants to buy rental real estate and he wants this house of his own, right? He's got these three different things, or he's pursuing financial independence for the long-term. He wants, um, I don't know, maybe an advanced degree that's going to be costly. And then he's got this have your chips behind three different goals and then just change up the order. Say, you know what? I don't get the house goal right now, but the good news is that frees up some money for this other goal. Perfect. I don't know. Yours was perfect. Mine was the add on. (laughs) I don't know about that. Thanks for that, Scott. If you've got a question for us and I hope you do head to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. We'd love, love, love to answer your question as well. And Scott, hang in there, man. Nothing bad ever came from oversaving, from saving too much money. That's right. I wish more people had that particular problem. All right, that's going to do it for today, everyone. Thank you for hanging out with us, for taking the time out of your week. I have been sending books out like mad because of the fact that uh, people have been giving us reviews and they've been writing to tell me that they've given reviews. I get uh, books from authors that are either coming on the show or hoping to come on the show. And after I prep for interviews, I want to give them away. I don't have enough room for them. So if you give us a five-star review and you write to me and tell me that you did, we will put your name in for one of these. That's the official response because Oh, gee, at some point I might run out. Right now, lately, I've been giving books out to everybody. By the way, if you've written to me, I still have maybe eight or nine people to get through because I'm giving you a choice of books. So we're trying to send books out at least daily. So hang in there. How about this one? Five stars from KJ in Virginia. There's nothing better than learning and having fun at the same time. Love the variety of topics and guests. Even when my schedule's busy, I make time to listen to Stacking Benjamins because I know I'll be better for it financially in the long run. Bam. That's somebody making good use of time, OG. I like it. And finally, if you're someone, as we talked about earlier, who wants to make better decisions faster, OG and his team are taking clients. So if you're in the hunt for a CFP group to work with, OG and his team have their calendar open stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG. That link will go straight to their calendar and let you interface with them. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today?
1: First, take some advice from our headline segment, looking for a certified financial planner. That designation is holding more weight than it did just a few weeks ago. Second, Take a lesson from Shannon Hayes. Being rich is about so much more than money. It's also about your health, lifestyle, and relationships. But the big lesson? Remember that tulip mania bubble from the mid-1600s in Europe somewhere? Well, that ain't got nothing on the dandelion disaster of the mid-2020s. There are lots of dandelions in these yards. And looking online, I'm starting to think I might have, like, overextended myself a little bit to learn more about our guests and for more resources you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com to learn more about how you should redefine wealth check out shannon hayes new appropriately named book redefining rich achieving true wealth with small business side hustles and smart living This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by Taylor Stevens with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe, and it's all free. It's called The Stacker, and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. For a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way, type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, reminding you that if you think you're too small to make a difference, you've never been in bed with a mosquito.
0: This is a rare occasion, a film that both you and I saw, doesn't happen that often. This film is called Black Widow.
3: I've lived a lot of lives, but I'm done running from my past. I was an assassin, spy, an Avenger. Before that, I had a family.
1: On July 9th... We
3: have unfinished business.
1: We fight with you. The wait... He is over.
4: Ha! You okay? Great plan. I love the part where I almost bled to death.
1: Studios Black Widow. Rated PG-13. Experience
2: it. July 9th.
0: Uh, I did experience it. You experienced it. So this is the story of the Black Widow, played by Scarlett Johansson, and her family that grew up as... Is it Soviet? Is it nebulous? Strong Eastern European accent.
2: Yeah. I mean, are they trying to hide the fact that it's supposed to be Russian, I guess, maybe, to...
0: It felt like Cuba at one point early on, didn't
2: it? Yeah, I mean, they were... I think they even said that they were Russian, right? Because they were they're in America, they get found out, they flee to Cuba. Yeah. You know.
0: I got to tell you, going into this, I was so sick of, already, of Marvel movies just in general. Just kind of the same thing, you know, okay, another, another Marvel movie. And yet, I'm such a completionist, I go see all of them. And generally... They do a decent job of them. But I walked into this one kind of knowing the end game for Scarlett Johansson's character. Sure. Not sure that I wanted to see what happened before that end game. And I won't spoil it for people that haven't seen the Avengers. But I went in here with a big degree of of not really caring. Uh, but what did you think when you were watching it?
2: thought it was great, actually. Uh, my son didn't like it as much. But I'm a fan of the uh, little, little, little darker. You know, why did he not like it? I don't know why he didn't like it. I didn't really ask him, but um, I don't know. I thought I thought it was I thought it was every bit as good as every other Marvel movie, maybe just a smidge better, actually.
0: Yeah, I like the fact, and I know I know this serves a bigger mission that they're trying to round out and introduce more characters so that they can sell more movies in the future. But I like the discussion of family and the idea in the plot that the redefinition of family throughout the movie, right? You have this core family unit at the beginning. The core family unit ain't what you think it is halfway through. They, they kind of share with you more about what a family unit really is. And then there's a tightening at the end, a redefinition. And I thought that that, for a movie that's just a superhero movie, that uh, kind of deeper theme... I thought made it really good because I felt for her sister and dad was funny. Mom was played. Well, I got everybody's motivation. I'm with you. I thought it, it, it hooked me from the beginning. I was, I was with it the whole way. I was never bored. Were you ever bored? No. Many times in these films, I find myself drifting off. Didn't happen here. So, so sounds like thumb up from you. I liked it. I think this got an 85% in uh, on Rotten Tomato score. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. This is uh well worth your time. You're still here. I know what you're waiting for. So, okay. Cards on the table. I'll bring it. When you become a member of Navy federal credit union stackers, life gets better. And if you're waiting for your life to get better, how can it get better than what happens at Navy federal? Because. Instead of this runaround that you'll get from your bank waiting to see how much and exactly what you can afford. With Navy Federal, it's all on their app and their car buying experience is just absolutely amazing. You can finance, buy, protect, and enjoy your auto purchase all through one convenient place. They have low rates and pre-approval. It's good for 90 days. So while you're negotiating how much you can afford. You also know exactly what lines up best with your budget. If you have to finance your car and you'll save thousands off MSRP with Navy federal's car buying service powered by true car. I've told you over and over how, how many times, how much I love TrueCar. car. So good. You can get exclusive member savings with Carfax, Geico and Sirius XM. They're also available with 24 seven member service representatives to answer any questions You can learn more at NavyFederal.org. It's org. NavyFederal.org. I love, if we're talking about the Navy, can't we do it? Pirates? Org. Org. No. NavyFederal.org forward slash car buying. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Your actual savings off MSRP may vary. Navy Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA.